Episode DB, uh, episode thirty. This is it. We're we're on the precipice of the Kings letting fans back into Staples Center, Dennis. Yeah, it's going to be an epic night. Um, I'm going as a fan tonight, or just sitting in my my seats uh, tonight, uh, looking forward to it. The first time, in, as Kelly Cheeseman mentioned on the last episode, the first time in over four hundred days, Jay. Uh, that fans will be in the stands. So it's going to be uh, an emotional night, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to definitely be interesting. Uh, I will be there as well. Well, about 3,000 feet away from you, I will be in the uh, press box. <laughs> uh, I, they, you know, from what I understand, they were thinking about potentially putting the media in some suites or on that level, uh, sure. which is really too bad. I don't know what happened and who, who vetoed that, but it would have been nice to have our own suite, uh, you know, Kings of the Podcast suite for whatever, a couple games here that are remaining on the Maybe readers. we'll rent one out before the end of the season, Jay. Hey, the prices. Might get a good price on it. They do. The price. The prices are right there for you. Uh, Dennis, before we get too far along into today's episode, do want to quickly mention that uh, we have a special guest coming up in the second period. He's been on before, but Nelson Emerson's going to join us. We'll talk about some of the Kings prospects. But before we even get to that, Dennis, how about the name of the studio? Because today from beautiful, it's almost 90 degrees outside, Dennis, but from uh, beautiful Southern California, we are coming to you from the Gord Labossier studio. What do you make of that? Mm, you're taxing my brain and it's been a long day. So do you want to just break it down for me? <laughs> All right. Well, yes, I don't want to. I don't want you to be too spent. You have to uh, you have to be ready to go for tonight. Kings Ducks, big matchup, first of five over the remaining 14 games. Uh, that name is of significance because we were talking on the last episode about the expansion draft coming up for Seattle. And way back in 1967, the L.A. Kings went through the expansion draft. And that is one of the players that they selected. But it gets way deeper than that, Dennis. And we have to give credit, of course, to the folks that came up with this. The guys over at Sportsnet Stats, or the people, might be ladies too, the people at Sportsnet Stats, check this one out, Dennis. They drew a, a connection from Gord in 1967 all the way to Jeff mm -hmm. Carter. I mean, this is like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, <laughs> but like on steroids. Yeah. So just check this out. 67, the Kings select Gord Labossier in the expansion draft. A few years later in 71, they trade him to the Canadians in a package for Ralph Backstrom. In 73, they trade Backstrom to the Blackhawks for Don Maloney. Two years later, they trade Maloney to the Red Wings in a package for Marcel Dion. Now, he was here, of course, in Los Angeles for quite some time. It wasn't until 1987, the Kings package Dion. They trade him to the Rangers for Bob Carpenter. Two years later, the Kings trade Carpenter to the Bruins in a package for Steve Casper. I can't even believe this is still going. Steve <laughs> Casper, two years later, is traded by the Kings to the Flyers in a package for Jeff Chikrin. One year later, the Kings trade Chikrin to the Penguins in a package for Paul Coffey. This, this insanity continues. 
In 93, the Kings trade coffee to the Red Wings in a package for Jimmy Carson. One year later, they then flip Carson to the Vancouver Canucks for Dixon Ward, a favorite of Barry Melrose, by the way. And then in 94, they trade Dixon Ward to the Maple Leafs for a draft pick that they used to take Eric Belanger, former guest here on Kings of the Podcast. Eric Belanger in 2006 is traded by the Kings to the Carolina Hurricanes in a package for Jack Johnson. In 2012, Mm -hmm. Dennis, the Kings trade Jack Johnson to the Blue Jackets in exchange for Jeff Carter. And I can't even believe this. And in 2021, (laughs) just a few days ago, about a week ago now, actually, the Kings trade Jeff Carter to the Penguins for uh, those two conditional draft picks. Dennis, 1967 to 2021. I'm, I'm cracking up over this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, actually, they did one of those for Gordie Howe and Patrick Marlowe. And it was only five steps to Patrick Marlowe instead of the 21 steps you just took from Lavoisier to Jeff Carter. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I know that the, uh, the Gretzky trade tree is out there and it has a bunch of different tentacles to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I think Drake Rimshaw and there's one other player and I named, oh, Marcus Phillips are the two remaining Kings prospects that are tied back to that tree. We can get into that uh, on a different, different deal. But who knew back in 1967 that the Kings would uh, draft a player in the expansion <laughs> draft and we would still be talking about him in 2021 relative to the Jeff Carter trade. So, Wild stuff, Dennis. Wild stuff. Uh, let's quickly fast forward tonight. The Kings taking on the Anaheim Ducks, first of five. And uh, it looks like Todd McClellan and the coaching staff have a decision to make. Will they go with 7D tonight? They have eight healthy defensemen, Dennis, but will they go with 7D yeah. tonight? Uh, I assume they would, but the way Anaheim's offense is going, I might want to play five instead of seven. <laughs> Well, well, I think the thing for McClellan is this. Yes, he has eight healthy defensemen to choose from, which would seem like a great option. However, two of those defensemen and two very, very important defensemen in Toby, uh, Toby Bjornfoot and uh, Matt Roy are coming back after, after extended absences right. from the lineup. Uh, Roy, of course, with COVID protocol and Bjornfoot, who was hit in the head in that game on March 31st against Vegas. So they both have been out of the lineup and you know, if you want to ease those guys in or have even an insurance policy against any sort of potential hiccups in this game, sure. they do have the option of going 7D. So, you know, with Curtis McDermott, uh, we, we've talked yeah. about him before on the program and what the <laughs> what the challenges are with getting him, um, you know, playing time. And it was it was rather it was rather bleak when you looked at uh, what what the record would be for the L.A. Yeah. Kings keeping Curtis in the lineup. I think the surprising thing of when we looked at that the other day, defensemen in and out of the lineup. Oli Mata was the thing that sort of jumped right off the page at you and said, wait a minute, you know, people have been been banging on Oli Mata all year long, but with him in the lineup, 12, 9, and 6, without him in the lineup, 4, 11, and 0. That's a little bit surprising, DB. That is. It is. And I think with Roy, he coming back from COVID, and when he was on the media availability, he said for three days he was not feeling very well. Mm-hmm. So I think from a conditioning standpoint, John, um, are you going to throw him back in and play his 20 minutes a night? I wouldn't think so, at least the first game. You want to see what the residual effects of uh, recuperating from COVID-19 is, so maybe you give him 15 to 17 minutes a night, and that would lend itself towards, as you mentioned, insurance policy to play seven. And that's also why I had put, when I did the projection on Mayor's Manor today, I had put Bjornfoot and Roy on different pairings. Normally, they are paired together. Right. However, yep. I split them up and said, hey, I, I'm thinking, I'm guessing, uh, that that he that Todd would probably put Mata with um, 
with Matt Roy on the second pair, and then that would leave you with sure. Bjornfoot with Walker on the third pair, and you Walker. could flip those two as the two pairs if you want. And then you play McDermott as the seventh defenseman. With Curtis McDermott in the lineup, DB, the Kings are 6-17-3. Without him, they are 10-3-3. So a lot of numbers there, and McClellan said it, uh, his media availability yesterday when, when he was asked about Matt Roy. He said, hey, our record without him indicates how important he is to our lineup. And certainly, DB, without Matt Roy in the lineup, 3-8-1, with Matt Roy, they are a game above 500, uh, but I think it's more about what the Kings look like without Matt Roy in the lineup versus what they might look like with him in the lineup. Yeah, and he provides a calming influence, and Todd has said that on a couple of occasions. He just calms things down. He's that type of player. So, yeah, it's 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 tough here. It's just the injuries are, are going to be impactful, and you just want to be cautious from first game out of the box. Now, the one saving grace is the team hasn't played in a week, so these guys have been a little bit more rested. They haven't been pressed into game duty, but we'll see what happens tonight. That's also why I think that going with 7-D tonight would make a little bit more sense because the the forwards, you could give them a couple of extra minutes. You could lean on your top two lines to play additional minutes tonight because the team basically sure. hasn't played in six days, so they should be healthy and rested and, and sort of ready to go. I think Brendan Lemieux really factors in as an, uh, an X factor into this whole entire equation because um, although nobody's coming right out and saying it Todd sort of hinted about it on the margins but Lemieux has really been a non-factor since joining the team yeah. and, and I don't say that critically because yes he's only played I think three games with the Kings so far uh, plus or minus a game there but um, haven't really seen much from him yet and, and I think that's one of the reasons that Todd wants to keep relying on Curtis McDermott just to have that sort of scare factor scary factor uh, involved in, in in the lineup I haven't noticed him, John. To be honest with you, he hasn't been an impact player at all. And you would think around the net, a little bit of jam, uh, give him the offense a little bit more power, but I haven't seen it yet. Now maybe it just this takes more time for a player like that to acclimate, changing franchises, but uh, it's time. It's actually past time. <laughs> all right. So uh, speaking of time, it's probably time for uh, Cal Peterson to take the net tonight and to start this series off. If Todd's going with the rotation, I would be surprised if Jonathan Quick was to get the start in game one, probably more like a Cal Peterson situation. Uh, but DB, one final note here before we get to the second period, Anaheim, if they were to win this game tonight, either in regulation or by some other means, they would then uh, clinch. Well, they would allow, I should say, the Vegas Golden Knights to clinch a playoff spot. Not that big of a deal, though, because Vegas has been expected to make the playoffs all along here. But uh, it would be official if the Ducks won that Vegas is officially in the playoffs. Well, that's another reason for the Kings fans to root hard against the Ducks tonight. <laughs> uh, DB, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, there's going to be fans in the building, fans out of the yeah. building. Uh, you know, There's going to be food outside. There's going to be a game going on inside. It should be fantastic. We could talk more about that in future episodes as well. But for right now, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we have Nelson Emerson, Director of Player Personnel, to join us and talk about some of the L.A. Kings prospects.
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, the second period. We are joined once again by Nelson Emerson from the Kings player personnel side. And uh, Nelly, first, or Emmer, I guess, as we've uh, affectionately referred to here on the program, now that we know your real nickname, how you been? Uh, we've been good. You know, busy busy here with uh, the trade deadline and going through that. But, um, you know, hey, it's nice to, you know, we're still in this thing. So er- everything's good here. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how it is good because uh, this season has been one curveball after another. If it's not protocol, it's uh, flying to Colorado and having games canceled. And then you had, like you said, the trade deadline, the IFALO thing. Every day there's there's something new. But uh, specifically, we wanted to bring you on today to talk about college hockey. Now that the college hockey season is over, at least we can talk about that in totality and, and not talk about it as if there are a bunch of what ifs or, or things that, you know, I guess curveballs that could be could be thrown um, the Kings had four players in college this year. Really want to focus on two of them, but before we get to those two, wanted to at least ask you about Ben Meehan, uh, the freshman at UMass. Just any uh, any thoughts on his season this year? Is he acclimated to college life? Yeah, you know, he, he, it's for for a young player and a defenseman going in, into you know college. It's not easy. It's almost like that. You know, that that when when guys turn pro, it's you know going to the AHL is tough. So, so he had to acclimate. Um, but you know what? He got in there. He played 20 something games, um, on a, obviously a, a pretty good team. And, you know, I think, I think he'll, he was in the lineup most nights. I think, you know, most nights that they played. And I think next year he'll go back with a whole bunch of confidence. And I think he'll be, he'll be a better player next year. Um, they're just grooming him to, you know, have a great college career. You watch him play. He, he moves around the ice very well. He's always got his head up. Um, you know, we saw a couple highlights where he's able to find uh, stretch plays, find the open man, can play in the power play. Um, so, hey, you know what? He had a year like most college, young college kids have, and uh, I think it's uh, positive for him for sure. Is it? This is a weird question, but is it harder to feel a, a personal connection to some of these players, given that you didn't have development camp? Because normally the timeline, the way it would work, would be that you know the scouts scouted him all year long, and then he gets drafted, and then a couple of days later he's in LA. You guys get a good week with him in development camp, and then he goes back and he plays you know college hockey. So throughout the first year of of college, you you have that uh, week of development camp to lean back on, you know, from a personal relationship standpoint, but. Are, are these kids kind of like in this weird limbo where like they are prospects, but you you sort of feel a little bit disconnected from them? Yeah, you know what? it stinks, and it's uh, it's not terrific. It's like, but it's like everything that we've had to do the last year for everybody, right? It's been difficult, and this year on everybody's heart. So you're right. I mean, bringing those kids into development camp and and getting to know them as an organization is crucial and it's so important, and we love it, but. Uh, we haven't been able to do it. The good thing, though, is our development staff um, has paid uh, close attention to these guys. They have a continuous conversations um, and been able to do it that way. But, but you're right. I mean, not seeing these kids face to face, and um, you know, and not being able to go watch them play. Right, mm-hmm. going, you know, getting on a plane and you know, going to the hockey east and watching a couple games and experiencing, you know, their life with them. I mean. We haven't been able to do that. So, yes, it's been a negative. Um, not great. Um, you know, so, yeah. All right. Uh, David Rennick, the goaltender. Now, you guys have an important decision coming up here at some point soon where you have to decide whether you're going to sign him to a contract or whatnot. A senior at St. Cloud State uh, takes his team all the way to the 
final game of college hockey, the championship game. Uh, just David Rennick looking back on his career and, and sort of the four years of, uh, of his college career. What do you make of it? Uh, you know, good for him. He stayed four years. Uh, he'll graduate. Um, he's been a good college player, a good college goalie. Um, love the fact that he took his team to, you know, the finals. That was exciting, exciting for him and the team. Um, you know, I think he's had a steady career there. So um, that's something that we're in conversation with. We talk to him. Um, we have until August to try and figure that all out. Um, we have to kind of weigh everything, though, right? Like we have the two young goalies um, down with us. Uh, one's in Ontario right now and one's in the East Coast League. And uh, they're just rookie. They're basically very young. Uh, Ingham's young uh, rookie. Vlad's only in his second year. So we got to weigh everything and kind of see where we're at there. But going back to um, your first question and thought, I, I too agree. I mean, being in college, obviously, for that program, for him to go to the Final Four and then to get into the finals, uh, very exciting, uh, good for him. Yeah, and not only good for him, but good for that program as well. Obviously, the yeah. Kings have drafted a number of players out of St. Cloud, and as the number one team in the country a few, a few times, they've been upset by the number 16 team. So it was nice to see the program just sort of get over that hump, and um, even though it won't help him since he's graduating, I think it'll help a lot of the players there as they continue on with their college careers next season. Yeah, no, you're right. St. Cloud, uh, like you said, they've had some uh, tough losses there, and you know what? That's a good program. It's, honestly, look back and look at what they've done, and look at the players that we've brought out of there, and they've all actually they turn out to be good pros too. So, um, give them credit. I mean, you know, they're probably you know you got University of Minnesota, their big brother or whatever. But I got to tell you, St. Cloud, they got to have a lot of people talking now and thinking, wow, that's a, that school has been terrific for a number of years. So good for them. Yeah. Uh, now the. Uh, back to back to uh, Minnesota, or not Minnesota. Excuse me, I had Minnesota on the brain there, talking about St. Cloud and then Minnesota. But uh, back to UMass Lowell uh, on the forward side of things, Andre Lee. I I was imp- I've said this many times. I was impressed with that kid when he came to development camp, a seventh round draft pick. So not somebody that a lot of people talk about, but he has quietly, in my opinion, had a really nice college career here uh, to date. And uh, he had a you know major responsibility most nights. He was playing on the top line and was helping carry the offense for that team. Just wanted to get your take on sort of where things are with Andre Lee. Yeah, no, I love how you mentioned that. Quietly had a you know his college career. It's only his second season, but. Even last year, I mean, he was—he got our attention, and um, you give him all kinds of credit. I mean, he had a—he had a really good year this year, and and I think you probably talked to him at development camp a couple of years ago. And I mean, talk to this kid when you go when you talk to him, it is—he is so mature. Yes, um, he looks you straight in the eye. He's—he uh, got his stuff together. Um, I love it. Um, I think he knows what he wants to be. He knows what he wants to do. He's in a good situation there at UMass. Um, player let, or coach loves him, puts him in responsible situations. And you said it right at the end. You said uh, he's leaned on as one of their top players, and he is. And that's what that's where all of a sudden our attention right now is. We got a lot of excitement about this player. Um, big, strong, has a whole bunch of length to him, meaning he can get his stick on pucks. Uh, he's got an offensive side. Um, being that big. Um, and having that offense is very, very exciting for us. So um, when we when we met with them virtually a couple, three weeks back, um, there was a lot of excitement from him and from us, and also their coach. Their coach, you know, speaks uh, really positively about them too. So um, terrific kid. What a what a great kid this is. 
Yeah, and having that size certainly is something that, you know, when you look across the Kings pipeline and everybody knows, you know, the prospect pool rated as number one, if not, you know, at least top three in the NHL right now, he does have some size that a lot of the other players don't bring. So that is something that's that's unique. Great attitude, though. You're right. We had him on the podcast as well, and he was a he was a lot of fun, told some, some cool stories. He actually bought a Kopitar jersey. He came to a game at Staples Center. I don't know if you know this, but he bought a Kopitar jersey. Him and his buddy uh, <laughs> each had one when they came to watch the Kings play many, many years ago when he was a kid. So that's a, a nice, I, I guess it was meant to be. He had to be drafted by the Kings because that was the first NHL team that he went to see in person when he came over from Sweden. Yeah, I think he mentioned that once too and, and when we were talking to him. But, you know, he'll, he'll he, it's amazing these kids, they, they've been doing school online. He, we talked to him, he's kind of locked, been locked in his, in his room basically all year in his apartment because they wanted to make sure they abide by the rules. And anyways, they, they got all their work done virt- or virtually. He's, he's ahead of schedule um, in his, uh, to graduate. But he's already, he's already went back to Minnesota and then he's already back in Sweden. So, Amazing how these kids, even though everything they've everything's been online, they um, they got everything organized, and you know he's he's on his way for his thumb. Hopefully, you know what, John. Hopefully, there's things. You know, there's another example. We want to get that kid back out here in LA to development camp, right? We want to. I mean, we love talking to this kid virtually, but we want to see him face to face. So sure. hopefully, hopefully things open up this summer, and um, he's a good one. Uh, late pick, but we got some excitement there. We got to work on his on his quickness and things like that. But Hey, if you're six, six, I mean, which guy is six, six hasn't had to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, also, uh, there's a seventh round. Well, pick. one guy, by <laughs> school, yeah. he doesn't have to. There's, a, there's also a seventh round pick playing in Los Angeles tonight on defense, uh, seventh rounder. So, uh, you know, yeah. where you're drafted doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it used to once before, but let's break some news then. I mean, do we have some dates, uh, tentatively scheduled yet for development camp or you're not ready to go public with that yet? No, we don't. That's what makes me a little irritable <laughs> on this. Because no, we haven't, and um, we'd like to see that happen this this summer. So, um, you know, obviously we've had positive news more lately, and things seem to be on the upswing here. So, hopefully, there is some some type of way to get these kids together this summer. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. All right, the last player I wanted to ask you about today on the college front would be somebody who, uh, sort of a sneak preview here, he's going to land in the top five of the Mayor's Manor prospect rankings that will be coming out here in in the uh, next couple of weeks. This kid really burst onto the scene, drafted in the second round by L.A. I'm talking about Brock Faber, uh, had a fantastic World Junior. We had you on, you talked about him and his time at the World Juniors. But now that you've had a chance to see the second half of his freshman season, just when you think back about Brock Faber, uh, how do you evaluate his his past year since being drafted? Well, there you go. I mean, here's here's one of those kids where you know you draft, and he's a, here's one of these hockey players. Well, what you know, what a year he's had. I mean, honestly, it's uh, you know, it's not usually like this where everything kind of goes so smoothly, and you know, you have so much success. But that's what he's done. Um, whether it's been as a freshman at the University of Minnesota or, you know, with uh, Team USA at the World Juniors. Um, you know, he's just gone in and kind of won everybody's basically, you know, heart over just because of how he plays. And you, you got to love it. Like, he goes into the U.S. program and they got him as maybe in the bottom pairing. He goes into the University of Minnesota and they don't expect much because he's a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in a short matter of time, the coaches are going, holy crap, I got to get this kid out on the ice all the time. I got to have him playing with my other best D. So, um, 
that's what he's done. And from Sean O'Donnell to uh, Michael Connell, the development guys who go to watch him um, play or work with him or watch him versus they, we just we don't have enough good things to say about him. Um, he's done very well. Great kid to talk to. Um, and uh, yeah, no, he's been it's been really good for him. But but you know he, he this was this was one year and we'll see how the summer goes and and he's got another big year ahead of him next year. And see, I think that's exactly the point right there. It's it, you want to be optimistic uh, after having this this post drafts you know, year that he had, but at the same time, you have to sort of balance that a little bit with some cautiousness, right? You have to say, okay, all right, it's good. You know, you had a good first year. Now let's wait and let's see what you do in the second year because it's not about just doing it once. It's about being able to do it on a consistent basis, right? Yeah, and there's some things there that that need to. Um you know, obviously, you, you can get better at some things, right? And his offensive side of it, I mean, I think there's more there offensively for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in him. Um, you know, I think he's a smart enough player. He plays with his head up. His passes are terrific. So, I mean, he can generate more offensively. And, you know, maybe that's one thing that, that will come a little bit. But, boy, he can't change the way he plays. Just uh, He's a solid, solid hockey player. Does all the right things. You want him out there. Here's a good, here's the thing, like, you, you want him out to start the game. You want him out at the end of period. You want him out there when your team's uh, up 2-1 at the end of the game, and you want him out there if your team's tied, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's pretty damn good. Totally different player than Toby Bjornfoot, but I was thinking of this comparison in, in one aspect the other day, and that is when watching Toby early in, early in his career, and he, God, he still is, he's you know, so young, but the one thing that, that is obvious most, most nights is that he doesn't make mistakes. You always feel like there's more to his game that as, as his game matures, he'll give you more, but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And it's sort of the same thing with Faber in my mind. When you watch Faber either at the World Juniors or in college, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes most nights. Yeah, and that's what makes everybody so, you know, everybody watching him play. And, you know, because sometimes you'll watch guys and they're so young and being that young, especially maybe if you put your, oh yeah, if you're, if you're a freshman in college or, you know, you're a young player, world junior, sometimes you'll have a shift and it's like a train wreck. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have any though. Right. Um, just, he plays like he's, you know, he plays like he's a seven year NHL bet, um, at his level. So, um, you know, you're right on there and, you know, I just, you just go watch him play and he's a real solid player. All right, so one final question then, and thanks again for your time for coming on, talking a little college hockey with us, but uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the Ontario Reign for a brief minute, only because so many of the fans here in Southern California have kept a very close eye on Ontario this year uh, with so many of the Kings' top, top prospects there you know, in the American League. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you expect here sort of over the final? I think there are 10 games left on the Reign schedule. Anything to expect other than the unexpected with these uh, constant lineup changes? Um, well, they, you know, I think over the last month, I mean, teams played a lot better. I think you're right. There's been a lot of, uh, changes to the lines or, or players, but you know, I, I think it's going to be more along the same, what we've seen. I mean, they started the year and it wasn't, wasn't terrific. Well, it wasn't, I mean, obviously they went through a tough part, um, to start the season, but they've been very competitive lately. And, um, right. We expect to see more of that. We expect to see our, my young players improving. It seems like they get better each week. Um, you know, and I just think as, as, as the season comes to an end, that's the, that's the thing that I think I said on here before to you, John, I mean, when you're a young player or a rookie, we'll expect 
maybe rookie rookie like play until Christmas, and then after that, mm-hmm. you know, you're not a rookie anymore. And mm-hmm. obviously, the season started at a different time. So, no, our our expectations are that um, we'll have a solid end of the season. Like we talked about, Chromiak will be here, um, and uh, that. I mean, the power play uh, power play needs to be better, John. And uh, I think they're working on. You know, obviously they're they're trying to get better. You watch it and. They get a lot of good looks. Um, they got, you know, definitely good enough shooters. Um, so, you know, that hopefully will improve. Um, I think Jersey is getting a ton of ice time, and you know, he's he's on the power play and um, getting terrific minutes there for his development. It's great, great to see. Um, uh, who is it? Um, it's great to see uh, uh, Fagamol back in the lineup. You know, with that injury, that ankle injury, you never know. Mm-hmm. you know, how that's going to be, but it's terrific to see him back out there. And, you know, he has a knack to score. Thomas has been real good, um, basically all year, very consistent player. So, no, we're just kind of looking to see how this is going to shake up um, down the road. And, you know, they're in all the games, so that's what we like to see. Yes, very, uh, very important season for all of those kids to, to cut their teeth and get some experience. And it's it's unfortunate because it seems like they're just getting in their groove now here over the last 15 games or so. And, and you look at the season and you know there's only 10 games left. A little bit of a disappointment. But like you said, it'll be good for uh, good for their development, get them into development camp, and then uh, start fresh back in the fall and, and have a full season. It'll, it'll be great. Emmer, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you uh, coming back on and sharing some thoughts with us. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Okay, perfect. All right, have a great week, uh, and uh, we'll be back after the break and talk some more hockey. Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim up safely and efficiently. I'm talking about your private yard, not the yard in front of your house. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code K-O-T-P-N-E-W to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. As we've talked about plenty here on Kings of the Podcast, Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Manscaped have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're here to help us, and they're here to help you. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. They also have the Crop Preserver, their anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, guys. Now is the time. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, which is their spray-on toner. will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And don't forget the new, refined Cologne Signature Scent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. Smell good, feel good this spring. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby. Get to it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. Okay, welcome back. Third period, Kings of the Podcast. And uh, DB, nice of Nelson Emerson to stop by. I think that was his third visit onto the show yeah. now. Nice of him to stop by and talk about some uh, LA Kings prospects. Great refresher on the college kids, John. So uh, uh, timely, and uh, let's get to it. Yeah, with the uh, college season now being over, of course, as we talked about during that interview, the Kings do have a decision to make on the goaltending front there with David Rennick. And if they don't sign him by the deadline there in August, then, of course, he would become an unrestricted free agent. And it's kind of interesting because that's, in fact, how the Kings ended up signing Cal Peterson. He became an unrestricted free agent, and then the Kings were able to pick him up. He was originally drafted, of course, by the Buffalo Sabres. The Rennick decision is going to be an interesting one because at at probably the midpoint of the season, it didn't look like they were going to sign Rennick. But as uh, Emerson was talking about there, they have a lot of questions in their goaltending pipeline right now from an age distribution standpoint, something that we talk a lot about. And uh, Rennick certainly did everything that was asked of him. If it was told to him the month before the end of the season, hey, dude, you need to put your team on, on on your back and go as far as you can to really earn a contract, he took the team all the way as far as he could take them, essentially, without winning the championship, took them all the way to the... Uh, title game in, in you know, the NC2A hockey world. So good on David Rennick. We love him here on the program. He was uh, really hilarious, the karate kid, when he came on back at the beginning of uh, or the uh, end of last year and was one of the more popular episodes, DB. But uh, that's not the only prospect news that's going on out there in the hockey world right now. No, Jay, it looks like the OHL is done. Um, unfortunately, it uh, looks like the season is not going to be uh, coming off uh, at this point in time. I'm not sure there was an official announcement or not, but uh, – uh, w- what does that mean for uh, for the rest of the organization with respect to prospects? Yeah, the official announcement did uh, come down earlier today that the OHL has called their season. And really, I mean, when you look at the cases and the numbers and what's going on in the greater Toronto yeah. area, it was probably only a matter of time. Very, very unfortunate, though. And, you know, it's not just about the hockey players and not the, not just the kids that whether they're draft eligible or whether they are NHL prospects it's not just about the players you think about the coaches and the fans sure. and all the people that were laid off when um you know because the 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 arenas are part of the community and they're a big part of the biz, the local business flavor so all of the people that have been connected and and they were hoping to have even a 20 game season uh, yeah. it, it, today is a very, very sad day around the uh, the world of the Ontario Hockey League. And then the commissioner, David Branch, coming out today, I guess, and saying that there's a possibility that they're going to do some sort of a CHL showcase. Of course, the Memorial Cup was canceled as well. But what would a showcase look like? And that's only, to me, going to lead to more questions, because if you have players that are playing overseas, uh, how do you time this thing to get some sure. of those junior age players back here? Back. And then what about the kids that didn't go overseas that haven't been playing? And now they haven't been playing at all for 14 months. What kind of a training camp are they going to get to get ready for this sort of a showcase? And is it one game? Is it, is it three games? Is it a, I mean, there's just so many questions DB and um, there really are no right answers. I mean, you just, you just sort of take all of the facts and you come up with what you think is the best thing and, and, and you sort of roll with it. But uh, from a King's perspective to bring it home locally, more specifically, what this means is that Arthur Kaliev is going to complete the next 10 games with the Ontario rain. Because of course, if the OHL went back, there was talk that Kaliev would be going back to complete his, uh, his season there in the Ontario league. The plan for Byfield is to um, call him up Dennis. So he, he's going to play yeah. two more games. I reported this a couple of days ago, the latest and greatest on Byfield. He'll play two more games with the rain this weekend, one home and one road. 
and then probably on Monday get a call up and then he'll get some practice time in before he makes his debut. But uh, it seems like, Dennis, we are on the cusp of Quentin Byfield making his NHL debut rather quickly here uh, in, in Ontario. Uh, over the first 10 games or so, I think he had one point in the first 10 or 11 games, uh, maybe two points. It certainly wasn't more than that. And uh, But then he went on a ridiculous streak. He had a five-game goal streak, a seven-game point streak, and uh, he, he's just been phenomenal here over the past uh, 18 games. And it's sort of interesting because at this time of the year, Dennis, you can divide his season in half. I tweeted this out the other day. I think it's a perfect mm-hmm. split of 18 and 18 games or something like that. And uh, if you look at the numbers that he produced over the first half of that compared to the second half, it's night and day. And then to think about the fact that he is tied for the team points lead, it really just goes to show you what a strong second half of the season Byfield has had with the Ontario Reign. Okay, Jay. So when he does get into a game, right, how do you play it? Fourth line center, wing, how many minutes? What do you think? I would be really surprised if he went in at wing only because he's played center all year long. Turcotte, they have moved from center over to wing, and he's seen time at both positions. Akil Thomas has seen time at both positions. Uh, it'd be rather surprising if Byfield came in as a wing. So I think you play him as a center um, from a pressure standpoint and from a breaking him in standpoint. Todd being the veteran coach that he is, I, I just don't see him rolling the dice and putting him in as the 2C uh, right out of no. the gate. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it probably would be a four C, but then what you would do with him is you would utilize him most likely in some special team situations, like give him some extra power play time or whatnot to maybe uh, yeah. increase his minutes. But, you know, I think it's going to be like we saw with Gabe Velarde earlier this year. It's going to be one of those situations where if he's playing hot, Todd might give him a little bit extra. And if he's not playing so well and he's having a difficult time adjusting, let's remember he's 18 years old, then perhaps he, mm-hmm. you know, just cautiously gives him uh what you know three minutes a period and gives him an opportunity to slowly get his feet wet in that first game yeah and i think the comparable big kirby doc when when chicago introduced him he was the 4c and then obviously he got traction last season and became their 2c behind jonathan taze but i think that's a smart move to go 4c you mentioned nine ten minutes a night give him more opportunity to succeed on a on a power play and certainly on a second unit, it could probably help him uh, probably use him. But uh, I agree with you with respect to how he'll be utilized when he does get into a game. I think the one thing that we do just want to say though, Dennis is to please ask all of the fans, all of the listeners out there, all of the LA Kings fans or hockey fans in general, have some realistic expectations when it comes to Quentin Byfield. Kings fans were spoiled when Gabe Velarde came in first shift of his first game scores an NHL goal. (laughs) Arthur Callie of this year, one and only game scored a goal in that game as well. So, uh, you know, if Quentin Byfield comes in and scores in the first game, fantastic. If he doesn't score at all in his first five games, Dennis, he's not a bust. So calm down, Twitter. Right. Manager expectations and just be excited that he's here and he's going to get some NHL time and NHL experience. That's the bottom line. You know, one thing that is a little bit disappointing, Dennis, it's kind of uh, we're coming to grips with it here is the fact that the season is near an end. There's only 10 games (laughs) remaining for the Ontario Reign and then provided that the Kings don't make the playoffs. And by the way, DB, I know you're on these media calls. Were you just shaking your head the other day when uh, Adrian Kempe was talking about the Kings going on a run and making the playoffs? I mean, at this point, it's very improbable. I I think it's Swedish math that gives him the (laughs) probabilities. Maybe they're different. Okay. Um, with respect to American math, because the American yeah. math says, yeah, you know, 12 and two or something like that. So other than that, and John, that's the, the frustrating thing is like all these teams think they're awful. Yeah. Like I was yeah. on with Brian Blessing earlier today. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I think it's St. Louis. They've got three games in hand. But if you watch these teams play, 
they all stink. They're awful. It's just, right. it's a race to the bottom for the four seed. It's, it's nobody wants it's, the playoff spot. You know, and John, I, I was, I, I was tempering asking Todd saying, do you feel fortunate to still mathematically be in the race considering you've lost nine of 12 games, but I thought discretion was the better part of Valor, So we held off of that question. Yes. Well, he hasn't been mad at you in a couple of weeks, Dennis. So, you know, hold, <laughs> hold back, would you? I'm, I'm going to try to get through the next three weeks without uh, without you being know, addressed by my first name. Yeah, that's always a good one. Uh, you know, it is that, that uh, we've talked about it before, Dennis. And again, we're not complaining. We're very privileged. We're honored to be included, yeah. you know, as part of the media and to have the access that we do and whatnot. But it has been such a frustrating year because you we just we don't have the ability to have that personal connection with coaches and players and whatnot. And Todd talks about sort of or actually, excuse me, it's Robleski who talks about building things up as players and putting it in their bank and being mm-hmm. able to draw from it. We don't have time with the coach to have sort of bank we where we bank sort of things that we're able to draw from. It's all just done over Zoom and it's so impersonal and he's not even looking at us when he's you know, he's just hearing yeah. our voice come through the computer and then having to answer. He's our questions. name. And that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, just I mean a name. It's just And he's uh, not that type of guy. I'm sure there's coaches that love that, but not Todd. And that's impacted everything. It's impacted our coverage. It's impacted a, a lot of different things. So when people think that, oh, media isn't going to be allowed in the locker room like Drew Doughty doesn't want us to be, <laughs> like, forget it. It, it, it. It's impactful with respect to the information that you get. And look, I'm not criticizing the Kings, but they handpicked the guys that you, you know, that, that we talk to as opposed to, you know, during, after a, let's say, a morning skate or a practice. Like everybody's in the room. You could talk to six or seven guys. It's never right. been that way. So I just think that, and especially with you know, Seattle coming in, John, and with ESPN on the horizon, there's no way that this is going to be the normal state of affairs. Next season, I just expect full access, and I think the fans will benefit from that as well. Yes, next year the coverage will be uh, much different and much better than what it's been this year. But you know what, Dennis? I think that Todd warned everybody. And it's funny, I was just thinking about this the other day. He warned everybody repeatedly during training camp. Um, don't get too comfortable. Things are going to change on the fly. He was talking about how he had to tell the players that you had to adjust. Every time I start to think there's a little bit of normos- normalcy creeping mm-hmm. into this season, Boom, another curveball <laughs> comes and, and we're, we're slapped in the face and reminded, whoops, nope, this is not a regular season, Dennis. This is, this is one for the ages, this 2021 uh, calendar year. Yeah, you see like today with uh, like last week, all the Colorado Avalanche were, I believe, vaccinated and Miko Renton goes on COVID-19. So it just, it's just, just, you know, we just got to clear these hurdles and get to next season, get to October and and everything, uh, well, you know, the way things are trending here in Los Angeles, it's great. And uh, we're having people back in the building. But just got to clear those hurdles and get on to next season. All right. So uh, last comment here, just sort of wrap things up here, DB. We certainly do enough self-promoting of mayorsmanor.com in the fourth period. I do want to get a li- give a little love to Zach Dooley from uh, LA Kings Insider. He, ha- he asked a great question that I don't know why, but it just struck a nerve with me. And, and I was cracking up laughing reading the tweet today. He wanted to know, are the Kings beginning a five-game homestand today? Or is this really just, I think it was a <laughs> seven-game homestand with a flight to Colorado in between? And it just... I don't know if you stopped at all to think about that, Dennis, but what is the right answer? Because I keep going back and forth. And when I answer it one way, then my brain says no, but the other way still makes sense as well. Well, have they rescheduled those games? No, but you think they're going to probably be played on the 12th and 14th because they've already put the the, the rescheduled Blues game on the 10th. So those games will be played most likely at the end of May. So what happened over the weekend? Did that interrupt their their homestand? (laughs) 
No, it hasn't interrupted their homestand. Okay. They continue to play games at home without any road games. Okay, so this is game three of an extended, the longest homestand of the year. Yes. Seven games. This is game three. Agreed. I still can't believe that uh, in a season where you play your division opponents eight times, Dennis, that uh, the Kings and Ducks still have five games remaining out of the final 14. <laughs> no. So uh, no love lost between these two teams. Can't wait for it, Dennis. Uh, any parting thoughts here as you prepare for fans back in the building at Staples Center tonight? No, but if the fans um, are in the building and they are Kings of the Podcast fans, uh, me and John will probably be, be roving the Carters if they allow us. So uh, by all means, thanks for the support over the last 400-plus days. If you want to come by and say hello to John and I, we'll be somewhere in the building. But I can't. Uh, um, to me, it's going to be an emotional night, John. Like when the players go out there and the fans are cheering for the first time when the Kings come out on the ice for warm-ups, that's going to be a special thing. Yes, it absolutely is. And uh, the players are certainly looking forward to it. Adrian Kempe was talking about that yesterday and almost basically admitting that they're a little bit jealous as they've gone into some of these road buildings where the fans have been allowed yeah. in. They have noticed the difference in energy and sound and just the feeling in the building and saying like, hey, man, we want that, too. So the players are really looking forward to tonight. So Kings, Ducks, the first of five. And uh, thanks again to Nelson Emerson for for joining us. Fans, we can't wait to talk to you again. Can't wait to see you tonight at the building. And we will be back soon with another episode of Kings of the podcast. Talk to you later. And I can easily understand how you could easily take my man, but you don't know what he means to me, Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene. of men but I could never love again he's the only one for me Jolene I had to have this talk with you my happiness depends on you and whatever you decide to do Jolene